What's up, South Crest? Oh, wasn't that awesome? Just to come in here and sing together. How many of you guys that just got you excited? Just coming into God's house and singing this morning. That's awesome. Hey, today's going to be an awesome day. I want to welcome all of you who are worshiping with us online on Facebook Live. want to say hello. And I want us to welcome our LaGrange campus. We are live right now between both campuses. Come on, Noonan. Would you give them a big shout out today? Today's a special day because today uh, you get to hear one of my friends. You get to hear a person that has encouraged me, inspired me. I met him for the first time in 2004, and uh, we were on a trip overseas together, and we've been friends ever since. I'm very, very thankful. His name is J.R. Lee. He's the pastor of Freedom Church in Ackworth, Georgia, just up yonder, right? Just up the road in North Atlanta. And today, you are about to get blessed. He's about to come and share a great word from God's word with us. Would you guys give him a big Southcrest welcome, J.R. Lee? What's up, everybody? Y'all good? Are y'all good today? doesn't sound like it. Let's try it again. Are y'all doing good today? I told them, I said, they asked me which kind of mic I wanted. I said, I want a handheld because uh, the reason I use a handheld sometimes is all you got to do is point it at people and they know they're supposed to say something. And uh, that way you can get a good like call and response kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's hard to do it if you've got a headset mic because you got to stick your cheeks out and uh, it's kind of a weird thing, but I'm going to do it one more time because I don't know if LaGrange was on board as well as they should have been. Uh, but let me go ahead real quick. Welcome everybody. Great to see you. Noonan, LaGrange, online, everybody else. How are we doing today? Yeah. All right. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna dive in before we before we do. Let me say first of all, it's an honor to be back. I think those of you that have been around Southcrest for a while, uh, I've been here every year. I'm the summer you know pinch hitter. Uh, I come in once every year, and uh, it seems like and been here for I don't even know how long, uh, ten to twelve years, something like that. And uh, spent a lot of time with your teenagers as well. I love your pastor. I love your church. I love your staff. You guys got an all-star team here. And uh, it's incredible and an honor to always be able to come back. I want to show you something on a screen real quick because I need to to get a feel for who's in the room. Um, I want to show you this because this is something that... Uh, is, is important to me. How many of you, when you look at that, you actually see a number? Raise your hand. You see a number, okay? Now, at both campuses, how many of you don't see anything other than dip and dots? Raise your hand. Does anybody not see anything other than dip and dots? Those are, those are my people. There's not very many of you, uh, but you are my people. If you have your hand raised, because all that is to me is a bucket of really expensive ice cream. Uh, that is nothing else. They tell me there's a number 74 in there somewhere. Is that accurate? That there's a, there is? Y'all are looking at me like I'm a cl- complete idiot that I cannot see a number, and I don't care. I cannot see anything. I'm about as colorblind as they come. And, um, and the reason I want to, I want to show you that number one, uh, I like making fun of myself every once in a while. My parents used to wonder why it is that I didn't match whenever I would put on clothes. And to this day, my wife puts out clothes for me so that I don't wear anything that is absolutely atrocious or ridiculous. But here's kind of the premise of where it is that I want to go today. Cause I think that it can be true for every person in the room. I know it has been for me. Sometimes you can, um, sometimes you can be blind to a blessing because it arrives in a package you didn't expect. And I know for certain in my own life that this has been true. I've been kind of investigating my own life recently when it comes to this. And as a result, I I like whenever I feel like God's doing something in my own heart, I just like to share it with people because I feel like it's better that way. You know what I mean? They say misery loves company. So as a result, I'm going to share some stuff that God's been dealing with me. And, uh, and I think it's going to be really, really helpful for you 
as a result. I think that it's going to be a really, really good day. I taught it to our staff, my staff, four months ago or so, maybe four and a half. I heard a, I heard a uh, friend of mine, he preached on it about three months ago, and it gave me an even deeper understanding of the content that I want to talk to you about today. But um, it's, it's going to be a message that is a little bit different than what you would normally hear whenever you have a guest speaker. I was telling them backstage, I said, normally whenever you go in and you preach at a different church, you come in with like a, with a message that just gets the room going. You know what I mean? Like people are clapping, even people that don't clap in church are clapping and you're cheering. You don't even know why you're sitting on the edge of your seat. You're excited, all that stuff. This is one of those messages that, uh, there'll be that element to it, but there's a big piece of it where it's going to hit you a little bit. And when it hits you a little bit, you're going to be like, ah, And then after that, after that initial feeling, I'm just trying to give you a warning on the front end. After that initial feeling, it's all good from there. So it's going to be good, but it's going to be painful, but it's going to be more good than it is painful. Does this, does this make sense? Not at me. If you know what I'm talking about, I hope that you, I hope that you do. I hope that you are. I hope that you're awake. How many of you would say, I'm ready for my harvest? I'm ready for my harvest. Raise your hand. It's not a sure question. I'm ready for harvest. I'm ready for the blessing. No, seriously. Raise your hand. I'm ready for blessing. I'm ready for favor. I'm ready for uh, the payoff. Let's use that word. I'm ready for the payoff. Um, there are a lot of people that are ready for the harvest season. I am. If you're not ready for harvest season, that's silly. Because why would you not want there to be a harvest season? Why would you not want there to be a payoff? Why would you not want there to be blessing? That's um, a pretty odd thing if that's not something that you desire. Everybody wants the harvest. You think to yourself, at least I do, I've put in my time, I've worked hard, I've done everything I know to do. Maybe at your business, you've been doing everything that you possibly can do. And as a result of that, you've been working hard than everybody else. And now it's time for the promotion and you are ready for the promotion. Maybe you've been putting in time, uh, getting ready for uh, the fact that you're having kids jump into your house. You have, um, you know, your wife's pregnant or you're pregnant and there's kids coming in and you've done this. Or maybe your kids are a little bit older and you've done everything you know to do to try to get them where it is that they need to be. And it's still, have you ever tried to raise kids? And then all of a sudden it seems like one, everything you say is going in one ear and out the other ear and you are ready for that to stop. You are ready for your harvest. You know what I'm talking about? It's okay. If your kids are sitting next to you, you should nod even more so, and you should elbow them in the throat if you need to, whatever it is you need to do. But the reality is we want the payoff. We want the harvest. It's, it's, a, it's a Bible word that just means the payoff. We want to experience what it is that God desires for us to receive. If you're in a difficult season right now, which is probably everybody. I mean, everybody I know is in a pretty difficult season, at least in one facet of their life. And if that's you, then you're probably ready for the payoff to come. You've been in the process for a long time and there's nothing wrong with the process. Like the process doesn't even bother you as long as you know the payoff is coming. If you know the payoff is coming, then the process isn't that bad. But what happens and what makes things difficult is when you're stuck in a process and you don't see the payoff, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I want to talk about that today. John chapter four is where we're going to look in the Bible. There's a story. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible is a woman at the well. And that's a um, pretty, you know, it's a pretty common story in the Bible. You Maybe if you've been in church for a little while, you've probably heard it. If you haven't been in church for a while, you'll hear it today. And then if you stick around, you'll probably hear it again pretty soon. But there's a Samaritan woman and she is coming to the well in the middle of the day. 
I say Samaritan woman just for sake of reference. There were Jewish people and there were Samaritan people and the Jewish people hated the Samaritan people and the Samaritan people hated the Jewish people. There was a lot of racial discord among the two groups. And this one particular woman, she's coming out to the well to get some water. She couldn't just turn on the faucet. She had to go to the well in the middle of the city in order to get water. And normally you would go at either the morning hours or in the evening hours because it's blazing hot in Israel during the middle of the day. And this woman, in spite of that, chose to go right in the middle of the afternoon. The reason she went in the middle of the afternoon is because she had a reputation and her reputation was, it was not the best reputation in the world. And anytime she walked into a room, she saw people's eyes look at her. She heard the whispers behind her back. She had a reputation of being a promiscuous girl. And a lot of girls didn't want her around their husbands, boyfriends, etc., etc., etc. She was tired of it. And so she goes to the well in the middle of the day. Now, what she didn't know was that Jesus was already there. Now, this was weird. Not that Jesus was at the well as much as Jesus, who was Jewish, was at a well in Samaria. That never happened. Jewish people didn't even like to go through Samaria. And yet here's Jesus in the middle of the day. He brought some people with them, but they were off at the store getting something to eat. Jesus is hanging out at the well by himself. She walks up and she's like, oh, here we go. Not only is there a Jewish guy hanging out, but he's a Jewish rabbi. This is, this is ridiculous. And he speaks up first and he says, hey, I want you to get me something to drink. And she says to him, basically, how is it that you ask me for a drink? And the reason she did that is because Jewish men didn't talk to Samaritan women. And um, she says that. And then Jesus does what Jesus does. And sometimes he says stuff that on the surface, it just doesn't make any sense. And he says, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. And she looks at him and she's like, I wouldn't ask you for a drink because you don't got no bucket. You don't got no bucket to get nothing to drink out of this well. So I would not ask you for a drink. And he says, yes, you would. Because the water that I have for you is living water. It's a totally different kind of water. And it's the water that you need. It's the water of forgiveness. It's the water of life. It's the water of joy. It's the water of grace. It's the water of mercy, all that stuff. And she is so confused and perplexed. But fast forward through the story. Throughout the course of the story, Jesus captures her heart. And she turns her life over to Jesus and says, I want that forgiveness. I want that grace. I want that mercy. I want that joy. I want whatever you got. If you got living water, hook me up. And Jesus does. Well, right about that time, she runs back to her town. And when she runs back to her town to go tell them about this man named Jesus, all the people that were with Jesus traveling that day who went to go get food, come back. And when they come back, Jesus looks at them And he says this in John chapter four, verse 35. Don't you have a saying? It is still four months until the harvest. Now to them, yes, they had that saying. It's still four months until the harvest. It'd be like uh, two weeks ago, I was speaking at a church in, um, where was it? In Detroit. And when I was in Detroit, I noticed every time I said the word y'all, everybody in the audience would look at each other and smile and laugh and nod their heads so much so that I had to address it. And I said, those of you making fun of me for saying y'all, I just want you to know it's a real word. It's in the dictionary and it's even in Wikipedia and everything in Wikipedia is true. And, um, 
And after it was over, they said, yeah, y'all do have that saying down there, don't you? Y'all have that saying down there called y'all. We say you guys, or we say use guys, which that's a stupid saying. But nonetheless, they said, we say, we say you guys, you say y'all, that's what y'all say down there in the South. And it would be the same thing when Jesus said, don't you all have a saying that it's still four months until harvest? Well, they knew exactly what that meant. But if Jesus were here right now, standing on this stage, talking to both campuses and those of you watching online or on Facebook Live, then Jesus would say to you, don't you have a saying that there's still four months until harvest? And we would look at him like he was crazy and we would say, well, no. Like we don't have that saying. That's not a saying. I have never one time been out to eat with anybody on the history of the planet where I've been out to eat, hanging out, and when I'm done, I say, hey, bro, by the way, don't forget, it's only four months until the harvest. I've never, I've never told that to anybody. And I've never been hanging out with somebody before, and them look at me, maybe we went to the gym and we're getting ready to leave, and they go, hey, bro, don't, don't you worry. It's only four months until the harvest. Nobody's ever said that to me. And if you are the person that says that to people, stop that. That's why you don't have a lot of friends because that doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make sense to say to somebody, it's only four months until the harvest. That's a weird thing to say. And so what happens is Jesus makes this saying when we're, when we're reading the Bible, don't you, have a, don't you have a saying, it's only four months until the harvest. We don't have that saying. So what Jesus said gets lost in translation. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but the context is what's king. And if you don't know the context, you'll mess up the meaning. So for example, I don't know how you are, but for me, when I'm driving down the road and somebody, somebody, I see it, you know how you look in your rear view mirrors and you see that person that's flying up beside you on your left or your right. And you see that there's a decent amount of room between you and the car in front of you. And you know what they're trying to do. They're trying to get up beside you so that they could go past you and then do the unpardonable sin, which is get in front of you. And you're not even in a hurry, but because you see them coming up beside you, you step on the gas and you make sure that joker cannot get in front of you. Can I get an amen? Amen. Or when somebody cuts you off, when somebody cuts you off, did you know when somebody cuts me off and I'm driving on 75 or 85 or 285 or whatever road it is, when somebody jumps in front of me, my first thought is not, well, bless you, brother. Bless you, sister. May, may the grace of the Lord be upon you and your family for all generations. I don't, that's the furthest thing from my mind. I'm thinking to myself, I will destroy you. I will get back in front of you and I'm not even going to hit my brakes. I'm going to pull up the emergency brakes so you don't know that I'm getting ready to stop. Y'all love Jesus too much for this. I get it. I'm just telling you, I got some problems. You're like, you need counseling. I go to a counselor. All right. So tell me something I don't know. I know, I know, I know. Now that being said, what if you knew that the person that was trying to get in front of you had a pregnant wife sitting in the passenger seat whose water just broke and they're trying to get her to the hospital so she don't have no baby on the side of 75. Well, if you knew the context, you would let them go. Now, don't be trying to play all spiritual because some of y'all were like, that's exactly right. That's what you need to know. No, that's never happened. That's happened like twice. You know what I mean? In the world's history. But nonetheless, if that was a thing, you would let them get in front of you because you knew the context. 
I got to drive one time. I was like 19 years old and I was driving. It was at night and this car in front of me was swerving all over the place like their tires. They weren't crossing over the line. They were going off the median into the grass, swerving back over, almost hitting people. So I called the police and I'm like, hey man, I got a, like either a drunk driver or I got somebody in front of me that don't know how to drive and y'all probably need to do something about it. We were on the highway and um, this is what they told me. They said, all right, stay with them. Don't get too close, but stay with them so that we know where they are so we can pull them over. I'm like, you know, we're going about 90 right now, right? They said, just stay with them. And I'm like, praise the Lord. You mean I got, I got permission from the popo. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, my heart, you talk about harvest season. My harvest is now the fact that I got to be a part of that. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm driving like a NASCAR driver. You know what I mean? It was It was amazing until the police got there. And the reason I was willing to do it is because I knew I wasn't going to get a ticket because the policeman knew the context. The context was I was trying to help out the police by staying behind this drunk driver so that when they pulled out onto the highway, they would know who it was. So if you know the context and if somebody else knows the context, then it helps everything to make sense. But if you don't know the context, you will mess up the meaning. So when I hear the words harvest, Let me tell you what I hear because I am not a farmer. I don't know if you knew this. I am not a farmer. And I'm going to ask you a question and I want audience participation from both of our campuses. And even if you're watching online at Facebook Live at Starbucks right now or some other place, I want you to participate as well. I'm about to ask you how many of you are farmers. And here's what I don't want. I don't want you raising your hand because you have three tomato plants. I'm talking about a real farmer. You have combines and I don't even really know what those do, but you have those and you have tractors and you have all those things because you are a legitimate, I mean, you're a straight up farmer. You know what I mean? You don't buy your vegetables at the Publix. You get your vegetables from your yard and not just from your three, you know, not, not your little three plants. I'm talking about a real farmer. We got any real farmers in the room at all? Real, we got a real farmer. All right, anybody else? Keep your hand up. How many real farmers? Anybody? I'm trying to scan the room. We got one real farmer at our Noonan campus. I don't know. I I think I see maybe, I don't know if I see anybody at LaGrange or not. Um, uh, And I don't know about Facebook Live. So we got one real farmer. Don't give away the punchline to this story. You're, You're a real farmer, right? All right, perfect. That's amazing. Now, when I hear harvest, this is what I think. I've been working so hard. I've been busting my butt. I've been putting in the hours. I've been doing everything I know to do. Now it's finally harvest time and I get to sit back on my couch, kick my feet up and relax with a lemonade and an umbrella in it. Cause my harvest is now. Cause I've been working and it's time for harvest. I've been pouring into my kids. I want to see the harvest. I've been pouring into my business. I want to see the harvest. I've been pouring into my church. I want to see the harvest. I've been pouring into my relationship. I want to see the harvest. I'm, if I'm going to pour into the relationship, I don't want to just see us continue to argue. I want to move forward. I want my harvest. Finally, I'm going to be able to sit back, throw my legs up and enjoy the season of blessing from God. Yeah, it sounds good, right? Like I could get you clapping. If I had music behind me right now, I could talk about in you when you're in a discouraging season, when you're dealing with pain. 
I want you to know the Lord told me. And then the pian- the keyboard starts to, starts to pick up. The music starts to pick up. I start dancing around on the stage, going crazy with my handheld mic. And I start pointing it at you. And I start letting you know the harvest is coming. The harvest is around the corner. The harvest is now. I could get you eventually with the music behind me and everything. I could get you to lose your mind. You know why? Because you misunderstand what harvest is. Because I misunderstand what harvest is. When I think about harvest, I think about the payoff. When I think about the harvest, I think about kick back and relax and enjoy the fruit of my labor. But when a farmer hears the word harvest, they put on their work gloves because they just heard work. Harvest season is not the easy season. Harvest season, right, is the hardest season. Harvest season is the most difficult season of all. I wonder how many of us are praying for God to send the harvest when we're really just praying for God to send us a break. The reason some of us are frustrated and the reason some of us are discouraged is because we misunderstand the season. Sometimes we think that God is silent and he refuses to send the harvest, but the reality is Amazon delivered it and it's sitting in a package on the front door. We just never opened it because it was in a packaging we didn't recognize. A lot of us are asking God to send the harvest when God already sent it. A lot of us are asking God to bless when God already blessed. The problem is, is that it comes disguised. Harvest season comes disguised because most of us at our entire, all of our campuses that I know of so far today, we've only had one farmer who understood what harvest season really is all about. And if we misunderstand what harvest season is really all about, we think that harvest season is going to be exhilarating and we think that harvest season is going to be amazing and it's going to be our easiest season where we finally get to enjoy the fruit of our labor. When in reality, harvest season is the time we have to wake up the earliest, go to bed the latest and work the hardest. Otherwise, what it is that we were supposed to reap will end up turning to rot. Because you can choose when you sow, but you don't get to choose when you reap. I keep looking over there to make sure he's nodding at me to make sure I'm saying all this right because I'm not a farmer. I'm just now learning all this stuff. So what happens to me is I'll get discouraged and be like, man, it's so hard to have a church with two campuses. It's so hard to have a church that's growing because we just started, uh, we did, we're doing a kid's expansion right now at our Ackworth location. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome, but it's so daggum expensive and we have to pay all this money and that means I gotta go raise money and that means I gotta do this and that. And then as we grow and as we have more people, our systems fall apart and we have to redo them and we have to come up with better ways to connect people and everything else. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so frustrating. And then I start to complain a little bit about it inside my own mind and what I find myself doing is complaining about a prayer that God has just answered. 
I got these people that go to our church and they're young and they, uh, they haven't been able to have kids for like four or five years. And every time they get pregnant, she ends up having a miscarriage. And so they gave up and they said, we're not going to have kids. I mean, we prayed for them down in front of the church and everything. And then all of a sudden they get this opportunity to adopt. And when they adopted, they didn't adopt one y'all. They adopted four, four, one, two, three, four. And then a few months after that, they found out she was what? Yup. And this time everything's working right. They're going to go from zero kids to five kids, which by the way is too past crazy. They are going to go from zero kids to five kids in a span of 13 months. And this is what we said. We said, there's going to be days where you get home and you look around your house and you got your five little tornadoes running around all over the place. And the house you just cleaned is now a wreck. And if you're not careful, you're going to start complaining about how crazy your life is. But reality is this. If you complain about how crazy your life is, you're complaining about a prayer that you've been praying for the past five years that God answered and he answered in abundance. He sent you your harvest. Those five kids, those are your harvest. You understand? It's like people will pray. They'll be like, I've been praying for a promotion and I've been praying for a raise. And then they get it, the promotion and the raise. And then sometimes that same person will come to you and be like, hey, it's, it's so much harder now that I've been promoted. I got so much more responsibility. Ding, ding, ding. Congratulations. Of course you have more responsibility now that you got promoted. Were you expecting to get promoted and have less responsibility? Why would I pay you more to do less? So you start complaining about an answer to your prayer and then you no longer work with me anymore. That's a true story. That really happened recently. I hope you're not watching online right now. You, you understand? So what happens is a couple years ago, I think, I think I did a message here called uh, about full net problems and how problems, full net problems are problems that people with empty nets would love to have. For example, Jesus and the disciples, the disciples had been out fishing all night. They hadn't caught, they hadn't caught anything. Jesus says, Hey, go back out into the deep water, throw your nets on the other side. They throw their nets on the other side. And when they do, they catch so many fish that it says in the Bible that they're what their nets begin to rip and their boats begin to sink. That's a problem to you. It might not be a problem, but when I'm out in the middle of the ocean, I prefer for my boat to stay afloat. But did you know what? That's the kind of problem that people with empty nets would love to have. Let me figure out how to work through the chaos. Let me figure out how to work through the pain. You prayed for the relationship. And then when you got into the relationship, you're like, man, this isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. I just want to get married. God, please send me, send me the person that I can spend the rest of my life with. And then he does. And when you get back from the honeymoon, because you can't really mess up the honeymoon, but when you get back from the honeymoon, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this is way harder than what I thought. She's got to, in my case, she's got to put up with me and that leads to conflict. And sometimes I got to put up with, with her and that leads to conflict. And sometimes we don't see eye to eye and that leads to conflict. And sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. We've been married for 16 years and we tell everybody it was 15 of the best years of our life so far. 
you know why? Because it's hard. Relationships are hard. It's not supposed to be easy. God never said it was going to be easy. But the fact that it's difficult is not a sign that you need a harvest. The fact that it's difficult is a sign that you're in the middle of harvest. See, I wonder how many of us are in the middle of harvest right now. We just don't recognize it because it looks different than what we thought it would. Churches experience this all the time. Churches go through difficult seasons and they're in the middle of a transition or they're in the middle of of growth and they're seeing God do incredible things. And you're like, oh my goodness, it looks different to go to the next level. Did you know every single time you go up a level, you have to leave behind people that were stuck at the level, one level down? Ah, now I know what to talk about. You know how I've learned this over the years. I've used to be afraid of silence. Like as a public speaker, I used to be afraid of silence and I would just start talking randomly about stuff. I've learned now that when the room goes silent, you just dial in. Every time you move up, you you know this. If there were stairs right here, I would do it. Every time you take a step up, you leave behind everything that was. To, To go up, you have to give up. When you get the promotion, When you add another kid, did you know when you go from, see, I have three kids. When you go from two kids to three kids, you go from, you go from man to man to zone defense. (laughs) Did you know it looks different with three than it does with two? You remember the first time you had a kid and everything had to be perfect for that little kid? You remember that? You were like, you were cleaning bottles by boiling water and doing all kind of crazy. I mean, you were doing all kind of crazy stuff. But you, if a, if their bottle fell on the ground, you'd go get them a new bottle. By the third kid, you'll grab a bottle from a stranger. You'll tell that joker to change their own diaper. Those of you that have more than two, you know it's true. Because harvest season is the hardest season. Harvest season is difficult. And the reality is, is that if you don't know it, you might miss it. I got this email. I preached this message four weeks ago at our church. I got this email from a guy after the first worship experience. He said, I grew up in Illinois and drove a combine for five summers during college and picked peas for Del Monte. We ran the combines 20 hours a day and we picked 300 tons of peas every single day. That's a lot of, that's, that's more peas than I even knew there was. It says, we only had a 36 hour window to pick the peas because when the harvest was ready, we had to go. If we picked them too early, they were too squishy. And if we picked them too late, they were too hard. When the harvest was ready, we had to go into the fields and we worked around the clock. We didn't stop when it was time. We stopped when we were finished. You know what he was saying? He was saying, harvest is hard. Harvest is is busy. Harvest is not always convenient. You can pick when you sow, but you don't get to pick when you reap. I was reading this in John chapter four. It says, after she runs into town and she goes out there and she speaks to all the people that she has spent her life avoiding, she invites them all to come meet Jesus, which by the way, that's a sign that you know Jesus. You want to know if you know Jesus or not? Are you passionate about introducing other people to Jesus? People that know Jesus want other people to know Jesus. You can say it this way, found people, find people. That's what they do. It's like a way of life. They, they want to introduce people to Jesus. They want to invite people to church. It's just 
part of who they are. So it says they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him. This is great. This is my favorite part of the story. So all these people are running towards Jesus. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, they get back from Taco Bell. And when they get back from Taco Bell, they say to him, Rabbi, eat a taco, eat this taco. And listen to what it says. It's, it's in the JR translation. If you look it up on version on your Bible app, there's a J.R. Lee translation and that's how it's worded. But uh, I'm just kidding about that, but not really. So it says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And then Jesus, Jesus says something hilarious, like he always does. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And he just looks at him and smiles. You're trying to give me a taco I got food to eat that you don't even know anything about. And all the people that were followers of Jesus, they look at each other like, man, somebody went and got this joker a hamburger before we could get back from the store. You think I'm kidding about this. Look at the very next, the very next verse. It says, then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And then Jesus says another Jesus statement. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The food that encourages me and the food that keeps me going is to finish the work and the reason for which God sent me. See, sometimes your mood is not gonna match your mission. Sometimes your mood will not match your mission. That's why it's so hard to wake up extra early in the morning to go to the gym. Sometimes your mood does not match the mission. Sometimes you don't wanna work hard when it seems like nobody notices. Sometimes your mood will not match your mission. Sometimes you're not gonna wanna invite your neighbor to church because you're so upset that they never cut their grass. Sometimes your mood is not gonna match your mission. Sometimes your mood when somebody cuts you off is not gonna match your mission. You, You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes your mood as a parent is not gonna match your mission as a parent. Sometimes your mood in a relationship is not gonna match your mission in your relationship. So Jesus says this, verse 35, this is the verse I already read to you. He says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. Now I love this part. He says, I tell you, open your eyes. Now, obviously they weren't all standing there with their eyes closed. That's not not what they were doing. He's showing us that sometimes people that have their eyes open still don't have the ability to see. He says, I want you to open your eyes and I want you to look at the fields. Then he makes this statement. They are ripe for harvest. Open your eyes and look at the fields. And he points. And when he points to the fields, you know what he saw? It wasn't vegetables. It wasn't crops. When he pointed to the fields, what they saw were all the Samaritans running towards Jesus from the village. Now here's the funny part. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Jews didn't see Samaritans as people. The Jews saw Samaritans as a problem. And Jesus points to the problem. And he says, that thing you call a problem, that's what I call the harvest. That's the harvest. The traffic that you're sitting in with all these people everywhere, that's that's not a problem, that's a harvest. When you drive through Noonan and you see all these new neighborhoods going up, that's not a problem, that's a harvest. When you're driving through LaGrange at our new campus and you see everything that's happening there, it's not a problem, that's a harvest. When you've got to build bigger buildings, that's not a problem, that's a harvest. 
When you see opportunities for life change, that's not a problem, that's a harvest. When you have to redo systems, that's not a problem, that's a harvest. When you're, when you're dealing with a home full of kids and your house is a wreck, even though you just cleaned it up, that's not a problem, that's a harvest. I understand that the days are long, but the years are short. It's not a problem, it's a harvest. And a lot of us, if we don't open our eyes and look to the fields, we're going to miss the harvest that God has sent our way because it came disguised in a package that we did not recognize. I don't know who said this. I think it's Thomas Edison, but don't hold me to it. He said, he said, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. I want to change one word. Harvest is missed by most people. Because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. Your harvest, the one that you've been praying for, it's not then, it's now. The problem is most followers of Jesus in the United States, we're waiting for our harvest instead of working our harvest. All because we misunderstood the meaning and we misunderstood the context. When you understand the context, you know that to receive the harvest, you have to go out there and you have to work the fields when it's time. I'm not talking about earning brownie points with God. I'm not talking about trying to prove to God that you are worthy of his grace. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about recognizing that the busy season is the harvest season that the hard season is the harvest season. I'm trying to help our church, my church, this church, to understand that we are praying for something that God has already sent. The harvest is now. The fields are ripe for harvest. LaGrange is ready. Noonan is ready. South Atlanta is ready. The harvest season is here. We just gotta be willing to work for it. Isn't that ultimately what Jesus did, by the way? He comes to this earth, and when he comes to this earth, he lives a perfect sinless life for 33 years. He didn't do it so that one day he could experience the harvest. When he was living his life on this earth for 33 years, a life of perfection, his harvest was then. His harvest was now. It was a harvest of righteousness that was available to you and I. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't so that one day he could experience a harvest. When Jesus died on the cross, he did it so that at that moment he could experience harvest. We could experience harvest. It was a harvest of forgiveness that was made available to you because of Jesus and his death on the cross. When he rose from the dead, three days later, he didn't do it so that one day there would be a harvest. He did it because at that moment, the harvest was, the harvest was proven in the harvest. It was time because at that moment, a harvest of life became available to the world. This is your moment. This is your time. You don't have to wait on it anymore. It's already here. I just don't want you to miss it because it comes in a package you didn't recognize. Our harvest is now. Look to the person to your left or to your right and say, your harvest is now. Do it at both of our campuses. Your harvest is now. Now look to the person you didn't choose the first time and say, your harvest is now. It's now, it's now. It's not later, it's now. And for some of you in this room, here's my, here's my thing. I wanna do two things before I end. For a lot of people at both of our campuses today, My prayer has been that you would begin to open up your eyes and you would look into the fields and you would see that your harvest is here. Your harvest is now. 
what you've been praying for, it's right in front of you. It's on the doorstep. It came in a package you didn't recognize. But the good news is all you got to do is go outside and open it up. Your harvest is now. The difficult season that you're in, your harvest is here. Your harvest is, it's right there in front of you. You just have to recognize it. For others of you that are in this room, maybe maybe you've never experienced the, the other harvest that I talked about, the harvest of righteousness, the harvest of forgiveness, the harvest of life. Maybe that's where you, maybe that's where you are right now in this room at either Noonan or LaGrange or even right now on Facebook Live. Maybe, maybe for you, the thing you need more than anything else is you need to do what I did on April the 11th of 1996 when I said, you know what? I can't do this thing on my own. And religion is never going to get me where I need to be. I need Jesus to step into my life. I need him to change me from the inside out. I need him to make all things new. I can't go back, but I can't start over. And I want him to forgive me of my sin. And I want him to adopt me into his family. And I want him to change me from the inside out. Because I've been trying to change myself from the outside in. And it hasn't worked. That's religion, by the way. But Jesus didn't come so that you would be religious. Jesus didn't come so that bad people would become good people. Jesus came so that dead people could become living people. And my prayer for you is that that would happen for many of you in this room right now, if you would.